Morning. That's better. How are you guys doing this morning? It's good to see those bright and shining faces on this Sunday morning. It's a privilege and an honor to be up here this morning. And uh, I guess last time I preached went pretty good because Pastor Bob asked me back. So that's a good sign. So when Pastor Bob initially asked me to preach in his absence, as he's on vacation, uh, I was working on and planning on our, our Valentine's banquet. And if any of you were here that night, um, you know, in the short devotion that I ended the banquet with, I briefly hit on our culture's view on love. And I contrasted it with God's word on love. Today is going to be a continuation and expansion on that thought. Before we get started, let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, Master of the universe, creator and sustainer of all things, we are in awe of your holiness and power this morning. We come to you today thankful to be gathered together. Give us today what we need. Speak to us, convict us, and encourage us to dig into your word. Lord, we ask that you soften our hard hearts, that you forgive us of our many sins. Remove the distractions in our lives and let us focus on what you have for us this morning. Lord, be with me this morning and guide me and let it not be my words but yours. And Father, we lift up these things in your Son, Jesus' name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So if the giant neon heart, or the title of the, today's message, didn't give it away already, let me make it clear. We're talking about love today. I'm probably going to expand your vocabulary today, for better or for worse, uh, probably both. You see, our words have meaning, and our vocabulary unites us. It unites us in good ways and in not so good ways. February is the month of love, and it may come as no surprise to you this morning, but our culture is obsessed with love. We have a long-running show about nothing but love. With 28 seasons, The Bachelor is a household name, and I'm sure many of you have heard of it, if not seen it yourself. Its premise is simple. One suitor dates 25 women simultaneously. If that's not problematic enough, in season 20, the bachelor of that season, Ben Higgins, ran into a dilemma. Some of you are nodding your head, you know what I'm talking about. He told two separate women that he was in love with them. Both Lauren and Jojo had received his promise to love them. This was the first time in history that the bachelor had told two women that he loved them. In the end, Lauren got the ring. Well, Ben and Lauren called it quits about a year after the proposal. When the season aired, and afterwards, during the airing of their own spinoff titled Ben and Lauren Happily Ever After, fans took to social media, right? They posted their infatuation with their relationship each and every episode as they came out, and their dismay at the news of their separation. Our culture hung on every moment of this true love story and its disappointing ending. Obsessed is an understatement. Not only do we have The Bachelor, we have The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, and even The Golden Bachelor, where the premise is the same, but uh, as Pastor Bob says, there are more seasons. Not only is our culture obsessed with love, but it has a twisted view of it as well. A good example of this would be to think about all the times you've heard the phrase, 
Love is love. I'm sure we've all heard this phrase a lot, but what does that even mean? Well, this phrase, it sums up this idea, this idea that, that love exists in any type of relationship. That love is valid and real in its own way, in its own right. If you feel it, it's real. This idea that love is never wrong, that love has no boundaries, love conquers all, and love wins, no matter what it looks like, because love is love. These phrases, love wins, love is never wrong, love has no boundaries, love is love. This is the language that our culture associates with love. These are the phrases that our society defines love by. And this is the vocabulary that the generations coming behind us will learn love by. But church, our culture's definition of love and its expression of love is quite different from the love we find in God's Word. Church, this language, and language in general, serves to convey information, and specific phrases, right, specific jargon, creates community among particular people. In our culture, love is love, and the other phrases I mentioned, have become the very definition of love in Hollywood, in the White House, and in every aspect of our culture. This new love of definition has united our society, and not in a good way. This morning, I'm going to contrast the love of our culture with the love of our Savior. Today's passage from the book of Romans, it gives us a better picture of what true love really is, and it helps frame our faith with key doctrine and vocabulary. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul uses the grammar of the gospel to convey the best news ever to a diverse people group, the believers in Rome. We see a lot of big words in Paul's letter to Rome, and in today's passage specifically, we see words like sin, grace, justification, and reconciliation. And we sometimes refer to these words as Christianese, right? because we never talk about them outside of church. If we do, it's very rare. But grasping these concepts, church, grasping these concepts transforms our lives, it shapes our worldview, and it builds community among us, the body of Christ. Like the woke phrases of our culture, our biblical vocabulary helps us maintain a united and biblical witness in a culture that is hostile to the truth. It helps us keep a healthy perspective of love. Right? Even when the world around us perverts it and misuses it. Today's passage specifically tells us the impact of God's love for us. That is the blessing of being justified by faith alone. The blessing of being declared righteous. So find with me Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. And once you're there, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You may be seated. So let me catch you up to speed on the Apostle Paul's message to the believers in Rome thus far. So having stated the need to be justified by faith in roughly the first three chapters of his letter, now he stated the way of justification by faith in about chapter 4, roughly. And now in chapter 5, he celebrates this just justification by faith alone. Right? He's given, he's given the, the church in Rome the need, the way, and now he's just reveling in it. He's enjoying it. And you'll see, right, as we just read, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome is very logical and argumentative. Right? But he shifts that pattern right, from logical argument to loving adoration this morning in today's passage. Notice the repetition of the term rejoice right? in verses 2, 3, and 11. Right? If you have the CSB translation, it says boast. If you have the NASB, it's exult. Right? This idea of just rejoicing in the love of God. Right? Paul here is helping us enjoy God's love. You see, there's a difference between saying, I'm a Christian, and actually enjoying God's love. It's one thing to be legally married, but it's a whole other thing to love your spouse, to laugh together, to play together, to enjoy a date night together. Romans 5 is a celebration of a love like no other, God's love for us. So as we navigate the text together this morning, I want to give you four reasons why the love of God is a love like no other. So look back at verse 1 with me as I tell you why God's love is a love of peace. So Paul begins with the word therefore. And that's a significant word that he uses throughout his letters. Here, Paul is launching from the implications of his previous declaration. So if you will go back to the end of chapter 4, Right? On the, the page before this, Paul teaches that our justification is rooted in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That those who believe in the work of Christ are counted as righteous. That we are justified before the Father in Christ. And here's one of those Christianese words, right? Here's one of those big Bible words. The biblical meaning of justification is to pronounce, accept, and treat as just. It's a legal term. Right? It's used to describe our standing before the almighty judge of the universe. 
Justification means that God declares us righteous. And that's a declaration of peace with God, made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Right? The enmity between believers and God has been resolved. Our debts have been paid. We have peace with God. A blessing of God's love for you is peace with God. And peace with God brings the peace of God. Paul, in another letter, in his letter to the church in Philippi, says this about the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, verse 7. But, the, but there are times in which believers do not experience the peace of God. Even though we have peace with God, we don't always live in peace. Right? Our world is a world of turmoil, a world of disquiet. We have peace with God, but our lives don't always reflect that. Our lives are not always peaceful. We're in the last days, folks. We're in this now-but-not-yet state, patiently waiting on our Lord to come again. But while we're here, we're in a broken and fallen world. We're waiting on that ultimate peace that comes with being reunited with our Savior. Peace is something I have a new appreciation for. With two daughters under two, things are not so peaceful at the Gore residence these days. Now, there's no shortage of joy and laughter. But if you like sleep, my house is not the house for you. But when the girls are asleep, right, for however little that lasts, there's peace. This temporary reprieve, though, it doesn't hold a candle to the peace of God's love. When the world is in turmoil and chaos, God is steadfast. He's unchanging and he's all loving. He is our resting place and in him we find tranquility, comfort, and peace. God's love is a love like no other. It's a love of peace. And second, it's a love of grace. So with peace, hostility has been removed. And with grace, we've become a part of God's family. Look at, look at, look at, look with me at verse 2. Don't look at me, look with me. The word grace here, in verse 2, refers to ongoing favor with God that we possess because of our new relationship with God obtained by faith in Christ. We now live in God's grace and power. According to God's unending and incomprehensible love, we not only get into right relationship with God by grace, but we also live out this relationship, right, day-to-day -day life by his grace. We never put grace behind us. Paul says we stand in it. We live in it. What a privilege to stand in grace and not the judgment of our God. What a privilege to know God as a father who lovingly stands by ready to hear our cries to him. Right? We have access. We can go to him anytime. He hears us and he loves us. We deserve judgment, but we have instead received, according to God's gracious love, the gift of salvation.
You see, folks, our world's definition of love is all about reciprocation. Right? Love the ones that accept you, that love you back, that endorse your lifestyle. And if they don't accept you for you, leave them. Right? They don't love you because they don't accept you. It's also a love of equity. Right? This idea that love should go both ways. If your partner doesn't love you the way you deserve to be loved, find a new one. Find someone who loves you as much as you love them. Aren't you glad God's love is not like that? Because we're broken. We're sinful. We're unworthy people. And if God's love was based on our merit or our love for him, we'd be doomed. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. We live in his grace. But do we act like it? Think about that. Do we show others the grace that God has shown us? Does our love look like God's love or more like our culture's, our society's? So God's love is a love of peace, it's a love of grace, and it's also a love of sacrifice. In verses 3 and 4, Paul reminds us that this life doesn't magically get easier when we become Christians. Right? Even though we're part of the family of God, Paul lays out this pattern of hope and rejoicing in suffering. Because this world, it tears us down, right? We will endure hardship and suffering in this life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But Paul says in verse 5 that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What an amazing testimony of God's love for us. He has poured his love into us by filling us with his Holy Spirit. What a gift. What a gift that we can never repay. It's a gift given to us because of Christ's work on the cross. You see, Jesus bore the penalty of our sin on the cross. We missed the mark. We fell short of the glory of God. Yet it wasn't us who died on the cross. It was Jesus. Christ died for us. Jesus substituted himself for us. He died the death that we deserve. And Jesus paid the price for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. Church, you see, the greatness of God's love is demonstrated in the cost of it. Think about that. Look back at the text with me at verse 8. It says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his only son for sinners. Church, genuine love is always sacrificial, but this was the ultimate sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice ever. And God's love was not lip service. Right? God didn't merely say that he loved sinners, but he acted on that. He acted on our behalf. 
on broken people by putting Christ in our place. And Jesus willingly gave himself up, paying a price we will never fully comprehend. He would leave heaven for earth. He would live a sinless life. He would be betrayed. He'd be tortured. And he would endure the Father's wrath in place of those who deserved it, in the place of us. But you see, the greatness of God's love is also displayed in our unworthiness of it. We were unable to save ourselves. We see in verse 6, we were helpless. When at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only are we ungodly, but verse 8 says we were sinners. And verses 9 and 10 say that we were enemies of God. God's love is not like our love. For Christ did not die for a good person, Paul says in verse 7. Right, so, so maybe some of you would you know, take a bullet for a national hero. But what about for your enemies? Christ died for his enemies. For people who didn't deserve to be saved, he died for them. Sinners who have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Know a love like no other love. Our culture does not know a love like that. They just don't. In fact, when we say love, we're talking about two different definitions. So while in English, the word love shoulders the weight of all kinds of meanings, right? From like, I love pancakes, to I love my wife Casey, to I love God. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, there are three words for love. And our culture's word for love would be eros. Right? We get our word erotic from this. Right? It's romantic, physical love. But God's love is totally different. Are we, the love we see in today's text would be agape. The steadfast, selfless, and sacrificial love of God. Church, when it comes to us and the culture that surrounds us, we're we're speaking two different languages. The definition of love in our culture is not the same as the meaning of love of God. It's our job to fix that. Each and every one of us here today, it's our job to spread the love of Christ to all nations. God's love is a love of peace. It's a love of grace. It's a love of sacrifice. And our Lord's love is a love with assurance. In verses 9 and 10, Paul declares that we are saved now and forever. What an amazing statement. Not only has God in his steadfast love saved us by his grace and given us a peace with him that we don't deserve, That peace is permanent. Once we have been saved, we are always saved. And I don't know about you, but that's a relief to me. Because if it was up to me to maintain my salvation, I'd lose it. But God's love is enough. His mercy is sufficient. I know I will continue to fail God every day. But he loves me and he loves us despite our shortcomings. He loves us so much, he has saved us from eternal punishment. He has saved us from the just wrath 
that we deserve. Believers, we're standing securely in God's amazing love, and we're anticipating his glory to come. But how do we know that for sure? How do we really know? Look at Paul's simple logic here in verses 9 through 11. He uses the phrase, much more. Paul lays out a logical argument from present to future, from difficult to easy. If God has already justified us and reconciled us to himself, much more we can trust him to save us from upcoming wrath, since we are now his people. He has justified us by the blood of Jesus. While we were sinners, much more he will certainly save his justified people from wrath. God's done the hard part, Paul says. Much more will he do what's easier. So believers, rejoice in the assurance of God's love. The work of Christ in the past brings us ongoing security in the present and in the future. We do not fear God's wrath, but rather we enjoy sweet eternal fellowship with him because of the work of Jesus Christ. Not only is February the month of love, the month that we celebrate Valentine's Day in, but it's also the coldest month in the year. Remember when I said I was going to expand your vocabulary for better or for worse? Well, here's something you probably could have gone your whole life without knowing. Due to its cooler temperatures, February is considered the tail end of cuffing season. Now, if you're not familiar with the term cuffing season, the ever-trustworthy and reliable source, Cosmopolitan, gives us a definition here. Cuffing season is when people start to want to be tied down in a serious relationship. The cold weather and lack of outdoors and sunshine causes singles to become lonely and desperate. It's this idea of locking down a relationship, hence the reference to handcuffs. Oftentimes, it's only till summer, right, when suddenly you don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend anymore. There are no more family holiday dinners to attend. Right? There's no need to cuddle up by the fire because it's not cold outside. Instead, now it's time to focus on that beach body right? or, or, or whatever. Personally, I'm thankful that dad bods have come back into style. You see, millennials and Gen Z, they've aptly coined a phrase of how the colder months make you want to lock down a committed relationship to carry you through to the warmer seasons. It's to find someone to love for a season, literally. Church, don't miss the fact that it's become commonplace to have a serious relationship and a partner that you profess your love to, that you bring them to family dinners only to end it when the weather gets nice. It's easy to see, then, the differences between our society's love and the love of God. Our culture sees love as a temporary fling. Our Savior's love is a love of eternal assurance. Let's recap. God's love is a love of peace, it's a love of grace, it's a love of sacrifice, and it's a love with assurance. Sweeter words and more satisfying news do not exist. This is it, the pinnacle. The gospel means the good news, and that's exactly what it is. 
The love of God truly is a love like no other. Contrary to what our world says, love is not whatever you want it to be. Love starts with God and ends with Him. We love because God is love and He created us. We love because He first loved us. Church, if the, if the month of February is the month of love, let us celebrate the love of God. Let's change the way we look at the way our culture obsesses and celebrates love. Rather than endorsing it or ignoring it, or somewhere in between, let us speak joyful truth and show our world true love. Let's remember that Christ's love is not only the reason we are saved, but the example of love we are to show the world. Church, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to live out our model, our motto here at First Baptist Church of Shalom. To love God, to love one another, and to love the world. Not with the love of our society's definition, but with God's love. As we transition into a time of response, I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come up. I want to challenge you guys. Believers in the room... This morning, have you recognized that maybe the definition of love for you looks more like our societies, looks more like our cultures than what God's word says love is? If that's you this morning, I want to challenge you. Take the true love of God into your place of business, into your homes, wherever you go, and share the joy and the truth that God's love is a love like no other. If you're here this morning and you recognize that you don't have that peace, you don't have that assurance of God's love, come and pray with me. Right? Make that decision today. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you love us. Thankful doesn't begin to describe what we are. Because God, you are the creator of the universe. You are all-knowing, all-powerful, and yet... God, you love us. Father, today, as we move into a time of response, God, I pray that you move in our midst, that you draw us to you, that you allow us to respond without holding anything back. But God, that we respond in obedience to you this morning. Father, as the worship team begins to sing, God, we ask that you join us this morning as we celebrate your love for us and that we sing it out. And God, we ask all these things in your, Jesus, in your son Jesus' name.